This episode was made possible by Artichokes, Haitian Rum, and the Adelaide Review. Visit adelaidereview.com.au. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of By the Glass. My name is Ali Robertson and I'm here with my highly esteemed co-host. His name's Chris Komorek. Hi, Chris. Hey, Ali. Uh, episode 16, I was esteemed. Episode 17, highly esteemed. Highly esteemed. I can't wait for episode 18. <laughs> this is a podcast about uh, the people that work in the food and booze industry all around Australia. And our guest today, at the turn of the millennium in year 2000, Sean Baxter was hired in a... Well, I guess you'd say a bartending waiting role uh, over in Queensland in a, in a small little bar called Jojo's Restaurant. That restaurant was in Queen Street Mall in Queensland. 17 years later, he now finds himself in South Australia, Royal Park in particular, and he's a part owner of Never Never Distillery, and he joins us for episode 17. Welcome, Sean. Oh, thank you very much, gentlemen. That was, that was wonderful. Sean, what type of drinks were you making at Jojo's? What were you knocking out on a Friday? Uh, JoJo's was a very long time ago. I think it was back in the time when you went into a restaurant and you just asked for white or red. That I, I can remember that quite clearly. It's changed a lot since then. It has. <laughs> can I just get a cheeky glass of white, please? It's like, <laughs> yep, no problem. We've got I one love of those by the those glass. those people <laughs> that come in, just a cheeky glass of white. I have you. Yeah, I've got you. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, uh, before we go any further, would you like a drink? Oh, I'd love one. Absolutely. Um, well, we love a Cooper's Pale here, so... Oh, cheers. Thank you very much. That one's on us. Love it. Local. Mm. So 17 years, um, you've been in hospitality. Um, you found yourself in Scotland as well. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was my second job. I um, I lied about my experience, which most, I think, Australians do when they go overseas. I'd really only bartended <laughs> for a couple of months before I uh, decided to put my CV in at a little Scottish... Um, Ale House, actually, in Dunblane in Scotland. How, was, how did you find that? I was actually working as a gap student in the the, the military academy across the uh, across the road, and it it was a uh, it was an interesting spot. I, I can't say I really enjoyed my time there as much as I did enjoy my um, my experience at the pub. Actually, it was a, a real uh, place you know, dominated by local you know, community, and it was it was wonderful. What were you studying? Um, I wasn't studying. Oh, at that stage, I was studying um, uh, journalism at the University of Queensland. But I just took a cheeky year off and decided to. Um, yeah, my mum's Scottish, so I spent a little bit time over in the motherland. Mm. Did you have a palate for whiskey None. back in those days? Zero, absolutely yeah, yeah. not even, uh, not even a little bit really. I, I I started to kind of get my head around it. My grandfather drank a lot of blended whiskey, as as did a lot of. Scots. Um, I only really got into single malt when I came back to Australia. Um, a lot of the sort of the Scottish regulars that I'd serve were half and a half, and that was half a blend of whiskey and then half of an ale, whichever was uh, mm. generally the cheapest. Do you um, regret not getting into whiskey whilst being there? No, because then I'd turn into one of those guys, I think. Well, in my <laughs> mid-twenties, I'd sort of know everything about single malt, and they're, they're very intimidating people to sort of get in front of and, and try and... Uh, I worked as a whiskey ambassador for many years for, for Diageo, and I, I ran into many, many young men and women who had started drinking single malt from the age of 18. And by the time you're 30, you are, you're a different type of human. You, you know really... a lot about whiskey and nothing about dating. This is absolutely. I've seen some pretty, <laughs> seen some pretty impressive whiskey collections of my day, in my day. And um, they've, they've often, more often than not, belonged to uh, 20-somethings who have decided to spend their expendable income on 
either malt instead of uh, <laughs> you know nights out on a Friday. Did you find as well that uh, it was just too strong in alcohol for you? Because that's that was my experience. Absolutely, as an early yeah. in my early twenties. I uh, I should I really wish I had because it was much cheaper back in the early two thousands. Yeah. But um, no, I was I was into I was into Midori splices and um, <laughs> you know a little bit of Malibu and Coke. Who who's not turned away a Malibu and Coke when you're eighteen? That was uh, that was delicious. <laughs> Uh, tell me a bit about uh, living in Scotland. What your experience was like working in hospitality there? Because I imagine it would be a very different kind of clientele that you're working with. It was it was fu- it was funny because I had a bit of an education around Scotland through my mum, so I kind of got the language a little bit. I still remember the first order I had, which was uh, Scotch and dry. Oh, he didn't say Scotch actually. He was a whiskey and dry, um, and I had never heard of what dry. Like I I didn't really grasp, I wasn't pouring spirits at JoJo's. I was just pouring wine and, and polishing glasses. I had no idea what dry was. And I looked around on the back bar and he sort of didn't really give me any assistance. And I saw a bottle of dry vermouth and I was like, well, that's got to be it because there's no other dry really, is yeah. there? <laughs> so I just put an equal measure of whiskey and then an equal measure of dry. And then I gave it to him and it still looked like a normal scotch and dry. You know, it still didn't, didn't look any different. And then he took one mouthful and spat it across the bar. That was an embarrassing beginning. I um, can top that. Really? Yeah. That was... uh, back in a, a cafe, uh, no one had trained me how to make coffees, but I was, you know, I picked it up and a lady with a small child asked for a baby Chino, which because of the language, I assumed was a tiny cappuccino. So a, a very short es- espresso, <laughs> lots of foam and chocolate. Ooh, that's which I gave to the child, the child <laughs> consumed, and then the mum asked, is there coffee in that? And I was like, yeah, there's a baby Chino. <laughs> and I got in a lot of trouble that day. That, that sounds, uh, that, that's, when you give caffeine to a small child, there's yeah. always been an aggressive kickback for that, isn't there? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So you obviously learned what dry was. I did. It was a very interesting sort of uh, town, actually. To uh, um, it, it did have a, a pretty um, sordid history, the... Uh, the town itself suffered a horrific mass, uh, massacre in a school, um, and it actually had a lot of alcoholic um, parents in that in that particular town. Probably taught me more about about hospitality and the importance of of uh, of the bartender um, in 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 a very very small community than anything else. Um, and especially considering I was only eighteen, nineteen at the time, uh, all of the time spent in many bars across Brisbane, Melbourne, uh, and Sydney was pale in comparison to the, the lessons I learned, I think, in that little in that little community. Now, speaking of hospitality, uh, I've got a little blind tasting for you. Would you like to play? Oh, this is this is my worst nightmare. These are these <laughs> are the I was never very good at this throughout all of the bartender examinations. It was uh, it always tended to be quite a traumatic experience. Hopefully, not too much. Well, we do like to um, stress, Sean, that it's not about getting it right or getting it wrong. Mm. It's just about talking us through what you're drinking, if you're enjoying it, um, and your experience. So, you know, you've had a, a little sniff, a little taste. What do you What do you think? It's delicious. Is 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 the first thing. So this is a uh, lightly coloured spirit. Mm. Um, just to let you know, at home listeners. Got some lovely sort of off banana notes potentially. Mm. A little bit of caramel. Little soft. Whisper of uh, oh, yeah. toasted coconut, perhaps something yeah, along those. Banana. Yeah, there's a bit of nu- yeah that nuttiness as well. Got quite a. Ooh, I'm yeah. getting a bit of almond, but mm. for sure. 
Well, I think it's a rum. That's correct. Um, for a start, which is which is pretty pretty out there. It's mm. a delicious rum. Mm. Um, I'm going to have another sip if that's okay. Just... Hey, the whole glass is yours. Mm. Um, it's quite light in colour, so I'm assuming it's really not seen a either a huge amount of time in in oak or or any caramel either. So that's true too. Mm. Yeah, what would you what would you call that on a scale of? Well, that's uh. How, yeah, the colour. How do you describe dehydrated? That? That's a short Human? night out. We? Uh, yeah, I was going to say that's, that's, you definitely haven't pushed it too hard the night before. It's quite healthy looking, actually. It's yeah. definitely a uh, light amber, yeah. pushing uh, just light. push past straw, perhaps. It's, light golden hue. Mm. Mm. Lovely. Um, well, shall we reveal? Oh uh, yeah, by all means. Maybe I'm, I'm going to say potentially a, a three to four year old Spanish style rum. Well, that's a, a very good assessment. Well done. Um, this is. Haitian rum, it's agricole rum from oh, right. rum there we go. Barbancourt. Um, I actually bought this at the distillery when I went recently to Haiti. Oh, thank you very much. That's still lit. No I feel worries. Like... Now it's, I think it's four years in French oak, right. this guy. Mm. Yeah, and this is like their entry level. It's cheap. Isn't that delicious? Um, this was, this little hip flask was like $3, I think, US. Thank you very much. Um, I feel completely honoured to no, no. partake in a little bit of that delicious Agricole, I think that's uh, I think that's stunning. Uh, so you've got a good palate for spirits, which is uh, pretty handy um, in your new venture. Can Def- you tell us a little more about Never Never Distillery? Where do I start with that? That's very interesting. I, I guess I, the whole reason why I got to Adelaide was because I fell in love with my wife in, in, in Melbourne um, about six years ago. Um, and in a couple of weeks, in a couple of weeks into the relationship, she said, right, I'm from Adelaide. And I was like, "That's fabulous. That's that's it's nothing to be ashamed of." You know, I'm from Gympie in Queensland. You know, that's that's all equally as sort of you know, I have to I have to admit that initially as well. Um, but she said, "No, we're gonna. I want to move there. This is definitely something that you know, if we were going to continue this relationship, then I, we have to do that." And so very early on, I, I knew that Adelaide was always going to be the end game. That's a very bold move. Two weeks in, I thought so. I was slightly stressed, but she's stunning, and I was like, "Well, let's. I definitely want to keep on seeing you." So. Let's keep pushing towards this end game. So even through Melbourne and then in Sydney as an ambassador, Adelaide was always a thing. Um, and I was always thinking about opening a bar, uh, which would have been a bad idea. I am by no means as a gifted bartender. Um, I would like to own a bar one day so I could sit on the other side and hire very talented people and and, and drink aggressively. But uh, as opposed to working my ass off and uh, into the early hours of every night like uh, bar operator owners have to do, probably not for me. So the next thing was, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I just just died a little bit because <laughs> I am exhausted from yes, last night. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, and this is exactly, I'm, I'm, in all my years as an ambassador, I speak with incredible young men and women who have who are inspiring in the way that they have, have, have taken on the hospitality um, industry. Charlie Ainsbury is another great example. Luke Ashton. Um, Tim Phillips, you know, and they work their ass off in those venues. Um, and I am probably not as, as gifted at being able to maintain a conversation at one o'clock in the morning. So uh, what I decided to do, as opposed to opening a bar, was to explore the opportunity, potentially opening a distillery with a, a friend of mine who happened to be a distiller um, quite randomly. He sort of just told me over over like a couple of beers that he was actually, again, the husband of one of my wife's best friends. So oh, again, wow. another wife connection, another another you know Cassie coming to the to the, to the, to the forefront there. 
and 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 basically Tim um, showed me his sort of backyard setup, which sounds like a euphemism. It's not. Um, it was <laughs> a uh, an incredible little uh, setup. You know, thirty liter still, and and he had been doing trial runs of of gins for uh, the better part of three to four years, and. I was shocked at how good they were. Actually, I was I was very very mm. pleased with the result, and from that point on, it was it was a go. Now, I I always like to um, just ask for our listeners at home who maybe have had a few gin and tonics in their life, but they've never actually thought about gin. What is gin, and what's the deal with gin? Like in a nutshell, gin is such an interesting spirit. It's it's gone so over so, through so many transformations over mm. the last. Um, three, four hundred years. And in a nutshell, please, because I don't want to hear three hundred years. Oh my God, are you kidding me? I, 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 it's I don't, really boring. I don't think I could go through it. Like well, I'd love to say that it's a flavored <laughs> vodka, really, but all the gin purists throw me out, throw, <laughs> throw me out the window. Like it is basically a flavored neutral spirit, mm. uh, and it's imperative that that flavoring requires juniper. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely up in uh, up to interpretation by how much juniper you want to add. You could add just a, a small amount to create a very light style or you could add a huge amount like we do and create a very heavy style so in a nutshell it's a uh, it's a neutral spirit with a you know a good whack of juniper character mm. which is nice um, as a as a spirit neat or more commonly a gin and tonic right absolutely yeah. you know a gin and tonic has is began its sort of life I guess as a as an aperitif in colonial times it was used to ward off malaria in colonial India which is why we always sort of see Indian tonic water. Um, and it kind of found its way through the, the gentlemen's clubs of London until it, until it landed in, uh, in sort of modern popular culture as a, as a, as a beverage of choice. I, I think it's lovely and definitely sort of love the flexibility of, of the modern day gin and tonic. You can have it in many different ways. Well, you've definitely shown your knowledge uh, of gin, and that's a good thing because... It's time for pop quiz, Sean. Oh, I'm terrified of these as well. This is I'm rubbish at, at pub quizzes. Anyway, you've not had one that's you've from from memory. I've listened to quite a few episodes. No really? one's no one's ever gotten zero, have they? No, they haven't. This is terrifying me already. So, um, well. Um, this is excellent because uh, usually every episode I have to explain what pop quiz is, uh, and sometimes um, I don't. And this is one of those occasions that I don't wow. necessarily have to, but I will anyway because for our listeners at home, <sighs> the benefit is <laughs> you'll get three questions, Sean, <laughs> and uh, you answer one correctly, you buy us a beer. Um, you answer two correctly, we'll buy you a beer, and uh, you answer three correctly, and Al? Uh, we'll... Take you out to drink Isla single malts all night. Ooh. Oh, now that's good. That's Lord, right I hope up, these are hard questions. That's yeah. right up my alley. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, without further ado, um, question number one, please, Al. Sean, question number one. Which gin has the following botanicals? Juniper from Italy, grains of paradise from West Africa, coriander from Morocco, cassia bark from Indochina, which they still label it as Indochina, isn't that old school? Oris from Italy, lemon peel from Spain, cubeb berries from Java, angelica from Saxony, almonds from Spain, and licorice from China. The the fact that you've you've mentioned where they're all from so it re- tends to remind me that you've polished a couple of Bombay bottles in your in your in your time behind the bar. Is it is it actually is it Bombay Sapphire? That is correct. 
Wow. That was a really good amount of deduction there. <laughs> <laughs> so on each bottle, they on the side of the on blue the side, glass, that's correct. it has all of those. Absolutely. And it's, and it's beautiful marketing. It is. And it actually, without a word of a lie, when we were putting together our gin, it was quite interesting when we were looking at you know, particular botanicals from different regions. And, and uh, our Tim, our distiller, was always asking me, why, well, how do you know... Where the, all these center, these these sort of nerve centers of, of botanical production is from, and I'm Says like, it on the bottle. Yep, polished a lot of Bombay in my time. Wow. That's pretty much it. Okay, question number two, a little bit left field here. Uh, Tarzos, do you remember Tarzos? Oh, you used to get them in packets of Doritos. Well, the question is, where were Tarzos found? They were packets of chips made by which company? Oh, well, Doritos. They, they, was that, Dorito the company? Was oh, Doritos the company? Um. It was, I'm sure it was in... Doritos owned by... Oh, I thought it was, maybe it's not Doritos. Is it Smith's? That's correct. Smith's, there you go. Smith's is correct. According to our brain's trust, I mean... Um, well, it's, I, I ate a lot Smith's of... Smith's Doritos. I'm pretty, no, I don't think, uh, maybe it wasn't Doritos. There, maybe it was just that I was, I ate a lot of barbecue Smith's. They were, they were the classic sort of mm. post-swimming carnival kind of mm. uh, selection and... Uh, I did have a large Tazo collection. Collection. I had so a I'd, lot of those. Yeah. Did yeah. you get the holograms? Holograms. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They, yeah were they were rare, but good. I was more of a pog guy myself. <laughs> Oof. Pog. <laughs> well, let's continue the conversation later. That's uh... pog. <coughs> uh, well, that's two out of two. So you currently um, saved your blushes. You yeah. Know, yeah. You haven't got I zero. Feel, I, feel, I feel like the Tazo question was really that was it was almost like a little bit of that. Um, what's that movie? Uh, Slumdog Millionaire, where it just, it just, just fell into place. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was a, one of those moments. Well, I've got to say, some of my questions of late have been tough. Yours, you know, not the toughest. You asked Ollie the six regions of the crew. Six, was it six regions six of crew? Six crews of Beaujolais. Oh, my goodness. Well, it should be easy for him. Yeah, He's well, a wine nerd. That's terrifying. That's, I, I listened to that and I was like, I was I like to mix it up. educated there. I like to mix it up. <laughs> Well, we like to educate on these episodes of By the Glass. Mm. Um, question three, let's round this out. Okay. Sean, which Australian craft brewery recently was bought out by Coca-Cola? Oh, wow. So that was, um, there was a couple that happened at the same time, wasn't it? So I'm going to say Four Pines or no, it was Four Pines by Bickford's. No, it was recently mm. bought out. Oh, it was f- uh, actually no. I tell you, it was Feral Brewing in WA. That is correct. Correct. Oh, yeah. And I think Bigfords also bought Vale. Did they? They did buy. There was three that went really quickly. Yeah, Vale went yeah. recently. Speaking of Bigfords, um, how do you rate the Twenty Third Street Gin? I look. I think that there's such an enormous amount of talent coming out of South Australia. Yeah. Um, I quite like the fact that Twenty Third Street has a slightly lighter character, a bit more of a sort of traditional um, style of gin, where you're looking at less of that sort of native botanical upfront and a little mm. bit more of your classic kind of ingredient, which I it's close to my heart. I think it's I think it's fabulous. Yeah, great. Well three out of three. Well done, Sean. So well, that that means that we have to take you out mm, drinking mm, mm. Uh, Isla all night. Well I know exactly where to go. So okay. there's a few hot spots in the centre of town that uh, I'm uh, very partial to a couple of delicious Isla whiskies. So it's it's about time, gentlemen, that I been a listener for a little while, and I know that you like to pour drinks for your guests. I thought it'd be appropriate that I bring a little drink of my own. It is a very obscure cocktail. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that either of you potentially would uh, potentially drink a lot of these. Um, it's from a very f- good friend of mine, 
and wonderful bartender Sam Ross, who's now a uh, used to used to work at Milk and Honey in uh, New York. Now he is owner operator of Attaboy and a few other Diamond Reef, be- another beautiful uh, beautiful bar. And just like any cocktail that Sam Ross tends to make, it's garnished with cucumber. So I brought a few little delicious so slices. You, so, you've just, slice. so you've just yeah. brought in. I have martini glasses, coops. Yes, I travel with a, them regularly. Actually, a, they're in a the, pre-batch cocktail. Yes, they're in the back of my car. Oh boy, there we are, gents. Now, yeah. I, now I would love for you if if you if you know this this drink, I'd be very very impressed because it is a uh, not a particularly well-known Sam Ross classic. It's definitely not up there with your uh, penicillins and paper planes. Mm, mm. But uh, I tend to to quite enjoy it. Cheers. Well, thank you so much. My absolute so pleasure. Are you going to have one too? I've got a, I've got a little one here. I can All right, uh, cool. just give you a little taste. I will give you one ingredient. There is one, which is which is our gin. So the never never triple juniper. There's a couple of other ingredients in there. Well, there's immediately a a little trigger of sweet amaro, which I'm thinking is Montenegro, or uh, maybe. Amaro Nonino. You're in the right ballpark. Yeah, it's, something like that. It's it's, so it's actually gin. a. Uh, you, you've definitely got the palate that is, it is it is gin, and a uh, an Italian amaro. Mm. And then something else. What is it? The name is Chin Up. Chin Up. Ah, mm. uh, uh, it's yep, yep, yep. Does that that might give away yeah, a yeah, little? Yeah, absolutely, it does for me. Yes, okay. it might give away a little uh, a little clue as to the mm. the contents. One of my favourite. Um, artichoke, or uh, when you say that my favourite artichoke liqueur, <laughs> you're not exactly kind of overwhelmed with selection. But uh, China, China, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Just got back from my honeymoon in Italy and brought myself a, a couple of vintage bottles, and it is uh, been loving playing around with it. So that's a little bit of a different aperitif. Mm. Um, usually, kind of, you know, you're looking at uh, at obviously digestives used after dinner, but I quite like the way that you can apply them in a martini format to have a slightly kind of different different sort of character. Yeah, and it's got that colour that we were talking about before, that um, a little bit darker than that rum that we were explaining earlier. Mm. If I drank all of this, should I not drive home? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Okay. I would probably not Thank do you. that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's definitely <laughs> up there from a standard drink perspective. Yeah. And th- sorry, the other ingredient is yeah. driver vermouth. Yeah. yeah. I can't, I, I just love a three-ingredient drink. Yeah. Definitely uh not only because I was always a very forgetful bartender, um, but because it's very difficult to stuff them up. It, it yeah. just requires a yeah, yeah. S- certain amount of uh, attention to detail, and you'll get, always get it across the line. Oh, well, it's lovely. The, these modern classics and classics are always the best, in my opinion. They're simple. Um, this is a nice stiff drink, but you could drink it all afternoon. Oh, well, I wouldn't drink it all afternoon, but certainly, <laughs> certainly, um, you, know, you could polish one off right now and, and have a very joyful walk. Back, back <laughs> to, uh, to your to your to your abode. <laughs> now, speaking of drinks in unusual locations, um, Chris and I actually just went up to the Northern Territory to see Minna Oil, and we were camping and did a whole road trip, and it was really good. My question to you, specifically, is what's the best way for us to drink a martini in the desert? Wow. Um, Generally through a frozen sort of camel pack, I would imagine. You know those <laughs> things that you can kind of strap to your body. I would yeah, definitely yeah. through a straw that you're that you've that you've pre-frozen uh, with well, through a through a sort of you know bladder that you've pre pre-frozen in a in an esky or freezer. Well, let's say you've got a you know nineties late nineties Land Cruiser Prado. You've, mm. got, you've got an esky. Like right. what, what's your setup going to be when you come into camp? I would 
well, look, what I used to find when anything like that, and if you don't have refrigeration, then that's always going to be an issue. You, what you're going to have to do is fill up an esky um, with a big esky with water, find a chest freezer, and then freeze or begin to freeze that water and actually weigh down some bottles so that they sit in that in that ice as it's freezing. And then make sure that they're sort of plastic because obviously they're going to break if they're glass. I've done this before, if you can't tell. I've done it on a camping trip where we've yeah. taken pre-batched Negronis and it worked a treat. Um, tip in your pre-batched mixture into those bottles, which are submerged in that ice, and then, and then you know, pop the... So pop, just uh, like a little on. bit of vermouth in topping up a bottle? That's it. Yeah, just yeah. a tiny, tiny little amount. And, and again, make sure that it's all ready to go. And by the time that you put the lid on it, that's got, that ice is going to stay frozen for three, four days if mm. it's a big enough piece. So by the time you get to your campsite, you should be able to remove that bottle very easily. It'll be chilled to perfection. Pour it out. Take a photo. Happy days. That's, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Thanks. Uh, and, uh, well, well, olives in the desert or, or ooh, a twist? I, what do you do? We'll see. Look, look around. See if you could find a little bit of na natural <laughs> flora and fauna, perhaps. Maybe a little yeah. bit of myrtles lying around somewhere. <laughs> we are in the... Uh, you know, maybe a desert plum. Who knows? Um, but I could, I could certainly recommend a, even a Sicilian olive. You know, travels quite well yeah. um, as opposed to uh. maybe a, maybe a twist might sort of start to shrivel up a little bit. Oh, well, these are glorious times. Well, we're, we're blessed with uh, with with infrastructure that allows us the ability to drink pretty much wherever we want on the earth. So. Mm. Well, drinking at home is one of the big things that a lot of people do, and um, I imagine you would do it as well. Uh, Sean, tell me about your recycling bin. What's in it? Food and drink-wise. My recycling bin's actually terrifying right now because I've just had a, a, a number of different... Uh, we went through a, a, a large amount of... I like to call it R&D, but um, my wife calls it just getting pissed. Um, <laughs> around the, the, the multitude of different combinations that, that never, never could go in a, you know, a different style of tonic. So in my bin right now, there is all manner of different fever tree tonics. There is a, a little bit of Fentimans. Um, a number of different, uh, both locally and internationally sourced uh, mixes that we've been working with to try and get our, you know, classic gin and tonic across the line. Um, as opposed to that, we've got uh, many a Sunny's pizza box. Quite like having a, a cheeky takeaway from in town. I tend to park in the. A uh, little shout out to Marcus Modern, runs Haynes & Co. Actually gives me his parking meter, uh, his parking pass across the road in the parking facility. And every time I go there to pick up my car, I look down at Sonny's and I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it again. I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. there. So, yeah. Cocktails and pizzas, you know, there's some there's some delicious combinations. I know Tristan was talking about uh, Negronis, you know, a little cheeky Negroni and a pizza. That's uh, you're this having a good time. This is the kind of guest we love. Someone who's done his uh, his research. I just I just can't believe people have listened to the podcast. Yeah. Still, but they do exist. It is a <laughs> especially from someone coming to Adelaide for the first time. It's a it's a great little education on the the personalities that are out there. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us on By the Glass. It's been my absolute pleasure. That's all for this episode of By the Glass. If you want to read a little more about Never Never Distillery or perhaps have a tipple, uh, visit a, an independent uh, retail bottle shop or go to a nice bar in town uh, or visit the website. It's neverneverdistilling.com.au. And don't forget you can catch up on any other episode of By the Glass via our SoundCloud profile or on iTunes. Click subscribe. You'll uh, know when a new episode comes out. And if you've liked what you've heard today, don't forget to tell your bartender. <laughs>